You're listening to the very first in a series of podcasts that stem from conversations or debates that have taken place at the Big Tent Ideas Festival, which in 2019 will enter its third year. Like the festival itself, the podcast will have no set format and no set length. What they'll have in common is that they'll explore issues and search for solutions to political problems in a non-partisan way. They're bound to develop as we progress, and if you have any thoughts in connection with them, please do get in touch by tweeting us at Big Tent Ideas. You can also follow us there to be among the first to find out what's happening at Big Tent 2019 next summer. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this episode, which is about access to the arts. The next voice you will hear will be Ed Vasey, the former Culture Secretary. I'm here with Chichi Wanoku, who was for 30 years the principal bassist of the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment and is now the founder and artistic director of Chineke, the Chineke Orchestra, the first professional orchestra and junior orchestra in Europe to be made up of a majority of black and minority ethnic musicians. In fact, it made its pre- debut at the Proms in 2017, and we're taking part in a big tent podcast because Chi Chi very kindly came to the big tent and I've got some notes here from the big tent people and it says here Chi Chi that we should do this in a TED style in inverted commas I've no idea what that means a TED style is normally a 15 minute monologue with a powerpoint presentation so if you want to do it that way alternatively you and I can have a chat and uh, we could have a chat about my constituency in Wantage because I gather that you lived there I certainly For a did. few years yeah. as a child, so yeah. we've got an idea of bringing you back to Wallingford School in my constituency, which will have changed a lot. Uh, but really, I want to talk to you about one subject, really, diversity in the arts, because that's what Chineke is about. I was the culture minister for many years, and one of the things I felt very strongly, particularly about music, I have to say, is that it's quite an elitist art form. And elitism is a good thing because it often means expertise, being at the top of your game. But I also felt it was a bit exclusive. It's hard to break into music. It's hard to break in as a member of the audience. It's hard to attract new audiences. And it's staggeringly undiverse. It's a shame. And it's very true that, you know, especially the the classical music side of the creative industries is definitely the like it's like the last bastion that truly does not reflect our community and therefore having been the section of the arts that I have grown in from my school days um, having the sort of it's funny because I now now that I've created Chineke people say to me well what took you so long or uh, or you know what you never talked about it before and I often ask myself this question why didn't I ask myself this question of course I always knew I was the only person of color in the orchestra for 35 years actually um, um, 30 years for the OAE as a, from being a founder of that orchestra um, but you know I've I've been through a number of, of feelings about this because I don't know whether I should feel bad about it or whether I should 
think, well, I didn't have much of a say in it. And, you know, to be honest, you know, just sort of protecting myself a little bit, I do think we weren't ready to have that conversation five years ago. You know, Chineke, we just had our third birthday. And it seems that so much has happened in such a short space of time that it was really the right time to start because everyone has responded to it, mostly positively. Of course, there are, you can never please everyone. There are the naysayers who, who believe. I've actually had people saying, you know, what Chichi has done is disgusting. There's not a diversity issue in the classical music. She's, what she's doing is making matters worse. And I think, bring it on, let's have this conversation. Because if people truly feel that way, then they, we really do need to talk about it because um, how do they, how would, you know, if, if, if I was to say to you, um, right, from now on, you can only have bangers and mash for the rest of your life. You can't have any food from the Caribbean or India or Japan. You could only have one thing. Um, you know, we live in a very multicultural society and I think it's all the better for it. Well, let's, I mean, I want to get on to um, the whole issue about how people view the diversity agenda, particularly its critics, because I, it's not a mindset that I'm sympathetic to, but it's interesting to explore. But I just want to go back a bit, actually, because, uh, you know, given, how, frankly, how white classical music is, tell me about what it was like. You started your career as, as an athlete. You were a runner. I was a sprinter. As I a teenager. I sprinted at Wallingford Boys Grammar School because <laughs> my brother was at the Wallingford Boys Grammar School and where I went to school, I didn't have enough competition against the girls. So now and again, when there was a match against the boys from my school and the grammar school... Well, you were, you were at quite an elite level. You were yes, county... I, I and... was county and, and becoming uh, national. Yeah. I was the fast, I had the fastest start in the country. Wow. And, um, you know, I was up with Sonia Lanneman and Bev Goddard and Andrea Lynch. Yeah. And would have taken the baton out of the blocks at the Montreal Olympics. Oh, my goodness. But and you got injured. Yeah. In my final year at Kendrick School... Oh, my goodness. I um, was asked to play in a women's football match, Reading Ladies versus Bracknell Bullets. And I was known as the, the sprinter for Berkshire, and my brothers were known as the footballers. And they figured that I might know a thing or two about football, which I did. I used to, I spent all of my life in a tracksuit or school uniform. Yeah. So I played sports with my brothers all the time. Yeah. Um, and so I turned up at White Knights Park to play this match when I walked into the changing room, I looked around and I couldn't see a single athlete in the room. The women did not... I mean, I know women's football has changed a lot now. It's, it's a different game. But then, they, it was not a game for athletes at all. And it was quite a shocking sight to me. I thought, well, how are they going to even run, you know? So, of course, every time I got the ball, I just took off. And it was as though I had a stampede going against me. Um, so it was more like a rugby match. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> terrible. And sure enough... The fatal thing happened. Oh. Uh, I was sprinting with a ball and someone just charged at me from the side, dis connected with the lower part of my, my shin. The whole knee was just completely dislocated. Oh. It was a career-ending injury. And it's the sort of injury that uh, is a very typical football How injury. How old are you? I was 17 in my last year at school. So absolutely gutting. Yeah. I was just saying earlier that, you know, when when kids have, you know, when you get to the age of, you know, when you're about to leave school or about to leave university even, when you've narrowed it down to doing a degree subject, 
you know, nine times out of the ten, you, you know, 50% of the students, um, it's something that I do say to students when I have to go and talk to them, that 50% of you might know exactly what you're going to do when you leave school or uni, and 50% of you don't have a single clue. I, I belonged to the group that knew exactly what I was going to do when I left school, and that was to be a sprinter. Until a, a one fleeting moment Ooh. when it all ended in a split second. And, and what do you do then? And, and that's where my, my statement of, um, you know, when people say when one, one door closes, another door opens, I say no. When one door closes, open it. It's the door. That's what doors do. You have to take every opportunity given to you and work it, which is what I, when I came out of um, the hospital, I was in hospital for two weeks having an operation, having the, the cartilage taken out and things like that. But in the meantime, between the injury and the, ho the um, hospital operation, I had a month just, I couldn't train, I couldn't, all I, so I just did more piano practice. I was already playing the piano at quite a high level and singing in the school choir and recorder ensemble because I loved music. It always had a magnetism for me, but it was just this passionate hobby. I was that kid that was as excited about being outside. I was very, very active outside the classroom. Mm. Um, you know, I was good in the class, but I was excelled outside the class, mm. which is what makes me worried about the arts being stripped out of the straight schools mm. now. But so during that month, I, I always found it funny that, you know, there was a school music competition and I thought about it as how could you have, it would be like the 100 metres against the pole vault or something. How do you judge a music mm. competition? I didn't really get it then. And then, so I just went in for it and played some Chopin and I won the competition. On like, the piano? On the piano. But you, so you weren't uh, playing the double bass? No, no, no. So you took it up at 17? Mm. Wow. The, the day I walked back from school. Why didn't you carry on with the piano? Because my piano was good, but to be a pianist, you have to be... So in sort of quite a crude way, did you um, pick an instrument where you knew? No, not at all. I had no idea. I'd only been to two concerts in my life, and that was taken... Well, there are more piano players than double basses, so there's more chance of you, perhaps. Yeah, but they're all soloists. And, you know, they have to be, you have to be at a sort of lang-lang level to have, a, yeah, exactly. to have so, a career. I wasn't that good. Yeah. I was very good, but yeah. not, you know, I'd but been... So there's more chance of having a career in the double bass. I mean, when you took out the double bass, we were thinking, I want a career in music. I'm not lang-lang. The double bass is the way in. Lang-lang mm. probably hadn't been born then. But <laughs> the day I came back to school, John Dusick was, my, was head of music, and I was doing A-level music. And, and uh, he, he fell into step with me and said, look, whole school's devastated by what's happened, Chichi headmistress and I, we've put our heads together and we think you're the most talented girl in music in the school. You've just won the annual competition. We think if you took up a very unpopular instrument, you could have a career in music. And I had no idea what he was talking about because I, music was just the thing I did on the piano on my own in a little cupboard, you know, sort of thing. It wasn't a career move. I didn't, it, I didn't know about music careers. And so he led me to this room in the school a little room where there were two double basses and he said and I said look I'm five foot nothing <laughs> and <laughs> the smallest girl in sixth form and they're huge <laughs> they've got to be the biggest instruments in the yeah. orchestra and he said yes but you've never been put off by a challenge come on you know nobody plays this in the orchestra it's an unpopular instrument and you haven't got much time but we think you've got all the musical attributes yeah. that are needed so a week and he said and by the way that competition you won 
the prize is the school pays for instrumental lessons until, until you leave. So he put it to good use. So a week later, I was having my first bass lesson. School paid for everything. And I just, this, and this is what I mean about opening that door again and just going for it. And but, So what I want to know is, you know, when you, you said, you know, you're in orchestra for 35 years, you're the only person of colour. You know, what's it like breaking in? I mean, and, and, and also we've talked in the past about people challenging you and saying, why have you never talked about this before? Did you never notice or whatever? When you're beginning this career in music, so you, you go to music college and so on, is this an issue? Do you find, uh, you know, do you feel that you're the odd one out, put it bluntly, or do you feel, do you not notice? Or I knew, I know that I always felt a little bit the odd one out, mm. um, but no one ever talked about it. Mm. And also, most of the people I was I was at college with, at the Royal Academy with, had come from different sorts of schools to the one... OK, I had gone to a grammar school. Mm. Um, but they came uh, from public school, basically. Yeah. yeah. And um, they'd all been in the National Youth Orchestra mm. and things like that. And I'd gone and had a crash course in Cambridge for two years after I'd left school because I needed to get to grips on the instrument. So when I started the Academy, I was a couple of years older than everyone else in the first year. And it's one of the reasons why... You know, when I had my kind of epiphanal moment and I started having meetings with all the academies and colleges and, and I remember my first meeting with John Freeman Atwood at the Royal Academy, he said, yeah, so great idea, Gigi, so what do you want from us? And I said, I want scholarships. And he said, what do you mean scholarships? We give scholarships to the, the people who do the best auditions. And I said, yes, I know that. And I know where they mostly come from. Mm. what kind of schools they've been to and they've had you know and I'm talking about the kids who are like me yeah. who turn up at the front who've got the courage to turn up at the front of this building with a violin and, under their arm and and um, dare to have a go you know they've not had the, the lucky teaching and wonderful instruments and etc and they've and they they have the courage to walk through the front door of the Royal Academy of Music and like me, I only could afford to do one audition because you have to pay for these auditions. So I put all my eggs into that basket. And, and um, if somebody gets in and they've come from, uh, uh, and you see the kind of background they've come from, give them a scholarship and see what happens because that's what happened to me. This is uh, sort of part of the nub of the argument and there's so much that spins off what you just said. One is the line, uh, you know, we give scholarships to the people who perform best so it's always you know in almost any walk of life where there is subliminal discrimination whether it's you know frankly the conservative party looking at how you can get more women candidates and so on people always say we, we shouldn't have positive discrimination because uh, people should succeed on their merits uh, and my argument is always well some people have are given more merits as it were <laughs> credits if you like than others because they start from a certain background Exactly. Someone like me has a huge head start. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, really, when you're positive discrimination for me, it's just levelling the playing field. Mm. Positive action. Positive action. Yeah. Well, this field. is what I call equity. Yeah. And, um, and this is what I explained. I said, you know, it's like certain schools that take, cert they're always going to come top of the, of the, um, yeah. the list because they've, exactly. they've selected the brightest yeah. students at the age of 11. Exactly. You know, so they're always top of the league, league tables. Yeah. So, 
how about you consider, you know, I, I came in off the reserve list at the academy. I'd been playing the bass for two years. And of course, all my competitors have been playing since they were 10, you know. And so, and there was just one, I was just the first person that didn't quite make it in. And then a guy who got into the academy decided to take his place at the Royal College. So I then got my place at the academy. And then when I started, I was in the bottom orchestra, sitting the last bass position. But at the end of my fourth year, I was the principal of the first orchestra. I'd just gone like that. You know, I just, and that's what you call equity. Give a child what they need in order to succeed, not just the same as everyone else, because some people have got to start off with more than, as you say. And in terms of uh, having an orchestra like Chinecki and looking actively at having diversity in our major orchestras. On the one hand, it's uh, an issue of equity. Is there more to it than that? Would it, will it result in a different uh, repertoire, a different way of listening to music? I mean... Well, one of the things, you know, when... You know, we've talked in the past about, you know, whether I could, we would only eat bangers and mash or, yeah. you know, it, it changes an orchestra in a good way, doesn't it? Yeah. Definitely. And I think, you know, Chinake Orchestra is not only for black and yeah. minority ethnic musicians. Mm. You know, it is for the industry. We're yeah. preparing people confidence and, and just building people up so that they will go for those jobs. Mm. You know, the whole industry will benefit from it. It's not only for our benefit. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I really hope that people will really, really get that point of view we're like a mirror image of the industry but we're doing better as far as diversity is concerned because there's always a few white faces to be seen you know and 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 other ethnicities even the very first concert 62 musicians were on that stage we had 35 31 nationalities amongst us you know and you know no one section was from the same place uh, and and uh, you know we had Pakistan sitting next to India on, a, on a, sharing a music stand and all mm. that sort of diversity. Uh, and and I, I, it just makes for an incredible mix. We had a huge challenge on our, on our hands. I was terrified the night before the first rehearsal. We'd, we, I'd managed to raise enough money for three days of rehearsals. And this was like, and, and then about two weeks before, or no, about a week before, I wrote to everyone again saying, look, I'm gonna try and find a place that we, so that we can have two more extra days of rehearsal because I knew all of the world's press was going to be at our first concert. And I knew I had some superstars who were gonna be sitting in that orchestra. And I knew I had some who were, you know, barely getting extra work. But, you know, people who had, who just hadn't had enough experience yet, but could play well. But, and I was thinking, goodness me, what? The night before, I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? Is this like choosing my dream football team where I've got Pele, Eusebio, Thierry Henry, George Best, maybe Beckham, and a few people like that. And they all come together as a super dream team football team and they get beaten by the local boys because they've got no ego and they've, they've worked together and they know how that their tactical strategies. And the, the other team, the, other, the, 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 the celebrities are all full of ego and and I just thought am I, am I going to have to write to everyone and say look leave your egos behind we haven't got time for this yeah. but actually I think people just did that anyway and um, we and walking into the room for the very first time 
all these people, no two people knew each other, really, barely. And you pulled them together in three days. But one of the things you said to me is, you got the idea to form Gineco, or you decided to go for it when you went to see the orchestra from Kinshasa. Uh, but you also said to me, I mean, I think this is an important point about why this agenda is so important, that you spent as much time looking at the audience as you did at the orchestra. Exactly. And there were a couple of pieces that they played which was f f local to them in Kinshasa, mm. for a local composer, which mm. was nice to hear them. And um, But one of the things that Chineke has committed to from day one, every single concert we do, we will include a piece of music that's written by a composer, a non-white composer, mm -hmm. male, female, living, dead. Mm -hmm. and And also our board is completely diverse. Our management is completely diverse. The music we play is diverse. And I think people in the audience, you see, we had sold out a couple of weeks before the first concert, but I didn't know, apart from my, my close family and friends, I didn't know who else was actually, who had bought those tickets. Mm. I knew, I knew you were coming. Mm. And walking out there and seeing an audience that looked like London mm. was for me, you know, I'm still reeling from that moment because I, did not know who was going to be there. It was the most incredible moment. And um, and of course, I knew that there were people, you know, people who'd never been even inside the South Bank Centre, let alone a concert hall. Exactly. And the fact that they knew that they were in some way reflected on the stage, mm. and they'd been, had a lifetime of being told that Beethoven's not for you, or that, you know, you won't like that, and that you won't understand, or something like that, being excluded for no good reason. Mm. It's just music. And, you know, and suddenly, you know, and they, and they heard music written by people that look like them. And that's why I had actually two, because I wanted Philip Herbert's piece about Stephen Lawrence, so that they could see a living black composer, because mm. you bring, always bring the, if there's a living composer in the room, you get them onto the stage for a bow. And people just looked at this living composer. <laughs> and then we played Brahms and Beethoven Symphony Number no. 7. And, and so all those people that left the auditorium, and the age range was fantastic as well. Well, it was like going out for dinner in, in Spain or Italy, where, you know, whole families go from sort of great-grandparents down to great-grandchildren, whatever time of night it is. And I know for a fact that some of those people who'd never been inside a hall before are going back to hear really? concerts, See, whether, whether we're playing exactly. or not. And I think that is what moves me the most. Exactly. And then the juniors who launched the same day um, have just done extraordinary things. You know, six months later, we had Sheku winning the yep. BBC competition. Yep. And, and, and of course, them walking into the, the room on the first day and seeing kids of colour from the right across the United Kingdom mm. was amazing for them as well and they immediately started networking there's a huge network now that did not exist three years ago and you know that bbc competitions every two years and sheku won it for us very conveniently this year which was the next competition since sheku's five chineke juniors category finals no way five. i was going to ask you my final question what is the future for chineke because five. it's a really important point i think that you said to me at the beginning of Chineke that you didn't want it to be you know just an orchestra that plays concerts you want it to be a network mm. so what is the future how are you going to make it well I think it's we're, we're I've got so many plans I, I hardly know I know there's not enough time for all this but I want music to work harder 
I think music can work harder in communities and society and, and especially now where it's being stripped away even more from schools because we're going to go back to this bigger divide again and it'll be about class rather than anything else which is a terrible shame and it will just drive a wedge further and why why is it so important classical music learning an instrument learning to read music at a young age is really important of course not everyone is going to be a professional classical musician that's simply not possible but what it does for you it connects you as a person and i, I just going back to my very first recorder lesson when i was six sitting in front of this piece of music piece of music on the stand given a little tube with holes in and all the things that you had to do right from from the first get-go where you had to recognize this little brown black dot with a step with a line and sitting on lines and how long that thing lasted in time where you put your fingers your left hand goes there your left thumb and all these things that you're thinking about you've got to look at it understand what it means process it into left hand, right hand, breathe, blow, make a sound, listen to that sound, hear that sound move. So many things going on in a split second. Any child can do that. If you're, if you're just, if it's just like learning to read and write and everything you learn to do as a child. And why, and that's all being dumbed down now, all of a sudden. And of course, you know, the day that I spoke at, at um, the big tent, the first thing I said was, I can only think of one um, industry where, where you're actually preparing it from as young as sometimes the age of three, and that's music. And, and even if you don't become a classical musician, whatever you choose to go into, you're going to be better at it mm. because you have got this coordination going on. Mm. You've got this. It's the only subject you learn where you learn how to listen and not only to yourself, but to people around you teamwork playing with each other coordination left hand right hand eye hand every, every absolutely everything is involved in learning an instrument and that's why i want to fight for it and and it, it's um and it, it just seems i don't understand we don't we don't there are we don't need any more um research done about the benefits from it it's proven itself over and over again and and therefore i want to create um we're about to go to Woolwich Arsenal. You know this new thing that's being built out there? We've been invited to make it our, our home, our residency. We'll still be an associate mm -hmm. of the Royal, of the um, South Bank Centre, but we're our home and we'll have a rehearsal place. Our office, the office is still my kitchen table. Um, but but uh, I would like to have some kind of um, organization or some kind of uh, what's it called um, where we help the most at-risk young people mm -hmm. because that's that's an area that these sorts of things are getting very worse and when you think of some of the most successful inspirational leaders that we look at today in any walk of life many of them share the same educational development issues, dyslexia, and, or, or various things where things kick in at different ages, where many, many, far too many children are being excluded from school mm. now. They've got a bit of dyslexia and they're trying to draw attention to themselves in the wrong way out, you're out. And they've got, they might not have a good backup at home and they're wandering around. Easy prey for the gangs who are making them feel 
that they belong to something. Mm. We've got to break through that. And I, I, would, I know that music can help with that. I'm, one of the things I'm going to be doing next week in New York is I've got about six meetings at the Carnegie Hall, all spread out across one day. And one of them is with Sarah Johnson, who runs this amazing programme that they've been running for about 10 years now. It's called Sing Sing and where they're working with a very high-risk prison as well, where they're using music therapy. And, but the thing that interests me the most is how they are identifying and getting to the young people before it's too late, mm. before they end up with a sure life behind brass, mm. and they're getting some great results, so that we, we need to learn from these people. Brilliant. And um, this amazing, there's one wonderful story, because you know Joyce Didonato, the wonderful soprano, she goes in a few times a year into this prison and, and um, she's spent time talking to lifers, you know. And there's one guy who's there for, for life, or mm. God knows what he did. He's writing an opera right now and she's going to be the lead singer. In it. It's just fantastic. We need to be, you know, Belmarsh is just up the road from Woolwich. And I think it's just waiting to, ha you know, we have to do it. What, what's going to happen? We're going to let this get worse. Mm. We can help this. Music can help it. Brilliant. Chi-Chi, thank you very much. We could go on for hours, so I've got to okay. slightly artificially cut this conversation up. short, and it's been accompanied, I think, by my fridge and oh, a police okay. siren going past in the window. It's been very roughly called, uh, recorded on an iPhone rather than in a sophisticated recording studio, so that was Chi-Chi's glass just then. Sorry. And uh, it's been a wonderful conversation. I wish it could have gone on longer. <laughs>